If you guys want to turn to 2 Peter chapter 2, 2 Peter chapter 2, Peter's been warning the church in chapter 2 of false teachers. And if you guys are already there, uh, in chapter 2 verse 1, he warned the church that these false teachers are going to be comparable to the false prophets of the Old Testament. In fact, in verse 1, he also talked about, you know, their goal is basically to deceive us, right? That, that they're going to um, they're going to try to sway believers towards them, and and they're also going to be among us. They're going to bring destruction everywhere they go. There's going to be destruction following them, and they're going to come in secretly. They're going to bring in their heresies, according to verse one, and they're going to be destroyed, just like the angels and the ungodly in the city. Speaking of Sodom and Gomorrah, they too are going to be punished. Uh, as well, um, and destroyed. So we also see in verse two that they, they're gonna be followed by many. There's gonna be a lot of people that just love hearing from these guys. And, and, uh, they'll tell people what they wanna hear, basically. And in verse three, they're gonna exploit others because of greed. That's gonna be their heart's intent. They're gonna make merchandise of you. You're gonna be giving them free advertisement for their own gain, for their own profit. And, in verse uh, 10 through 11, we saw that uh, they're going to be, you know, they're going to have this, this, these uh, ungodly character traits about them. You know, how could you tell a false teacher, when you come to church, how do you know the difference from a true teacher of God who honors God, maybe reflects the heart of God, just like the prophets of old, where they were broken. They were so broken, you can see what they say and it's almost like seeing the heart of God for the nation of Israel. And, and so there's teachers like that today that display the same heart that God has for the, the, the people. But these false teachers, they're going to be following the flesh, despising authority. They're going to be presumptuous. They're going to be self-willed. They're going to be speaking evil of glory. That word glory is doxa. They're going to, they, they have no problem uh, speaking evil about God's word and about God himself. And, and they're able to twist scripture knowingly and there's no conviction about it. And so um, with that said, uh, that's just kind of from chapter 2 and then uh, we'll continue on in chapter 2 verses 12 to 22. Let's look at verse 12. It says, But these like natural brute beasts made to be caught and destroyed Speak evil of the things they do not understand, and will utterly perish in their own corruption, and will receive the wages of unrighteousness as those who count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime. They are spots and blemishes carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you, and having eyes full of adultery and cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable souls. They have a heart trained in covetous practices and are accursed children. They have forsaken the right way and have gone astray following the way of Balaam, uh, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but he was rebuked for his iniquity. A dumb donkey speaking with the man's voice restrained the madness of the prophet. These are wells without water, clouds carried about by a tempest. For whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever and ever. Verse 18. For when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure 
through the lust of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. And while they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The latter end is worse for them than the beginning. For it it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it, to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. But it has happened to them, according to the true proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit, and a sow having washed to her wallowing in the mire. Whoo! This is a this is a lot of stuff right here, guys. So Peter, First uh, Peter is dealing with the depravity of these false teachers in verses twelve all the way to verse seventeen, and then secondly, Peter's going to be dealing with the deception of false teachers in verses eighteen to twenty-two, and so. Let's look at the depravity of these false teachers. And, and I think this is a, a blessing, by the way. Um, some of you are probably like, oh man, we're talking about false teachers. But what a blessing. Imagine going to church all your life and they, they pick and choose all the good things only and they don't tell you, you know, about the warnings, about the caution. Um, I had a job where, um, I was told to do electrical work, right? Putting, installing lights like this and outlets and stuff. But I wasn't properly trained. They just said, do that. And I said, okay. I looked at YouTube really quick and I got it figured out. But on YouTube, they they assumed that, you know, everybody should know you should hit the breaker. And so here I go and, you know, and it's all splashing everywhere. I was, ah! I was angry because they didn't, they didn't properly teach me. And so... At Calvary Chapel, we go verse by verse, book by book, right? And because we want to get the full counsel of the Word of God. And in Second Peter, if you're like me, where you just, you know, you get up in the morning or whenever your time is with the Lord, and you're just spending that quality alone, uh, that word selah, right? Just alone, you're thinking about, you're considering, you're meditating on what the Word says, you're reading it, and then you're talking to the Lord about it, and you're just, just that personal time. When you come to a book like Second Peter, it's beautiful because it's the Lord ministering to your heart. And now you're starting to be aware of your surroundings and you're seeing these things that are happening down the street from your house. They're all over the place. And so uh, I appreciate um, uh, just this passage alone. You know, some people are like, oh, it's just like a, oh, it's a downer to talk about false teachers, you know, and, and I totally agree with you, and I wish we never had to, but we have to, and I, and I think it's good to caution, um, ourselves as Christian and knowing, you know, what's our surrounding, what's around us. So the, the first thing, uh, that we see about the depravity of these false teachers, there's nine ways that we can see it, by the way, in verses, uh, 12 to 17. First thing that we see in verse 12 is, well, they, they simply just don't understand. They don't understand. Notice it says in verse 12, but these, like natural brute beasts made to be caught and destroyed, they speak evil of the things they do not understand. So Peter, he compares the false teachers to 
brute beast, right? And these wild animals whose purpose is only to be destroyed, right? Now, these wild animals, they don't understand. You can't go and try to, you know, read this or don't go here or, you know, they, they, they're wild animals. They don't just don't know, they don't understand. Um, I, I think it's funny. I don't know why I mentioned YouTube, but there's people that actually put signs, you know, for this is a deer crossing only. Go that way. That's where your crossing is over there. It's like, they're animals. They don't understand. <laughs> it's for you, not for them, right? Um, but they don't comprehend anything other than their own instincts, right? And they only understand what they want, and that's that's it. They follow their own fleshly desires. And these false teachers, they're void of understanding. They're void of um, comprehension. And of what? That's the question. And I think as we look at the, the, the context and the setting here in Second Peter, I think it is voided of understanding of spiritual things. Spiritual things. Because remember Peter's writing to the believers, warning them about these false teachers. And now teachers, what do they do? They teach, right? And so if they're teaching, it's not about... Um, it's not about spiritual things. It's going to be fluffiness. Right? <laughs> they're going to have a big smile, and they're going to talk about today, and they're going to talk about good stories and good things, but it's not going to be uh, spiritual necessarily. Because notice in the middle of verse 12, it says, speak evil of the things they do not understand. So these false teachers, they don't care to speak evil of spiritual things. Why? Well, because they don't understand the realm of the Spirit. They don't understand the gifts of the Spirit and the order of it. They don't understand, you know, the, uh, you know, that we're to be walking in the Spirit. They don't understand being filled in the Spirit and of the Spirit. They don't understand those things because those things are spiritual. The Word of God is spiritual. And so they can only use it and twist it to their own thinking in their own fleshly way, in their worldly way. And since they, they don't understand these things, they speak evil of them. And they don't understand these because, well, truly, they're not even born again, right? And it's sad to say that, but... Because they know, they have a knowledge of the word of God. They probably have degrees, you know, at some kind of seminary or Bible college. They uh, have this position, this title. Uh, they're leaders, you know, in their churches. And so apparently they must know God way more than we do. And, and uh, but they're not, they don't know God. And that's the thing. They know of these things enough to use it for their own profit and their own gain. And we're going to see that right now. And I, I, you're probably like, are you sure? Yes, I am sure. In fact, in, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 14, it says, but the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned there's a curtain there's a veil they cannot see beyond that into the spiritual things and they don't they they just they can't see they don't know why because they're so immune to the things of this world and their own sin and their own ways that why would they be able to see the spiritual things, you know? And and so the natural man is someone who is not born again. They cannot know the spiritual things. So because of the lack of understanding false teachers have, the inference is that they're not truly born again. And so uh, that brings us to the second thing here is they, they will utterly 
perish. They're utterly going to perish. Notice in verse 12, it says, and will utterly perish in their own corruption and will receive the wages of unrighteousness. You guys remember in, actually, we'll look at verse 1 again. Uh, Notice it says in verse 1, and bring on themselves swift destruction. And then go to verse 9, look at the middle of verse 9. It says, and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgments. And then look at verse 14. It says, they have a heart trained in covetous practices and are accursed children. Look at verse 17 in the middle. For whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. And so they will for sure perish. The Bible is just, it's evident, right? And understand it's by the hand of God. God is in complete, total control uh, and will hold them accountable for their actions. Their actions are, uh, it's a rippling effect. Because of their actions, there's other false teachers. And now they're deceived and deceiving as well. And that keeps going and going and going. And so how much more so, he's going to punish them. So we, 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 I under, if you're like me, I get angry, right? And I'm like, oh, how dare them? I've gone to people, um, and p- pastors that I know are an heir that don't, you know, they're not teaching the word of God and they're using it for their own profit. And I, I, I came to them sensitive, you know, sensitively and, and being like, yeah, you know, you're, you're saying this and you believe this way, but, you know, can I show you something? The, the scripture says this. And also, here's another thing, you know, the scripture also says this, and it's a sweet rebuke, you know, and, and I'm just leaving it, you know, and hoping that the Lord does the work, but they say straight out, Josh, I don't care what the word says there. I already know what my vision is for my ministry, right? When they say my ministry, it's like, oh, sorry, right? <laughs> Apparently it's not God's. Um, but, but it's, you know, and they're like, and they want to throw the rebuke back at me. Like, how dare you give me scripture? And they don't want scripture. They don't want to hear it. And these are the false teachers. That's their heart, their attitude. They could be rebuked all day long and they don't care because they're not born again. They don't know the Lord. And, but the thing is, we ought to pray for them. And that's where the challenge comes, right? Where in the flesh, it's easy for me to be like, right? And, <laughs> but the Lord says, hey, Josh, I know you're thinking the issue's over there, but the issue is with you, buddy. You, you need to talk to me about this. You need to, how about you pray and intercede on their behalf, because they're not doing it, apparently, for their salvation, for the Holy Spirit to come upon them and show them, reveal to them the truth, because they can have redemption as well. Just like you found it, they could find it as well. And it's like, well, I don't want to. <laughs> it's like that spiritual laziness, and he's like, come on, right? But we got to pray for them. And and it's sad that they say things like, you know, you, uh, oh, you go verse by verse. Yeah, mm, that's sad. Yeah, no, no, not not us. We're we're very. In fact, I went to the parade, um, the flag parade or whatever it's called, and I, you know, I met the people around me. And, and there's this one girl that goes to a church nearby, and um, she said, uh, she's like, yeah, oh, you go to Calvary Chapel. Oh, yeah, that's one of those verse by verse churches, right? And I was like, yeah, I'm all excited, like, oh, I'm glad you, you know, that's so cool, you understood that. 
And then she's like, yeah, but our church, we're very seeker-friendly, and we're very community-based, and uh, we're, she said the word emergence, and I was like, those three things, do you even know what you're talking about? You know, and I just looked at her in shock. I didn't say anything, but I was in shock that they understand what they're standing for, and it's like, wow, have you read your Bible? <laughs> anyway, sorry. Um, I should stick with my notes, right? But but they discourage prophecy. They discourage the Old Testament. Why go through the Old Testament? That's old. Those are just stories. And, and, and don't teach prophecy. And what do they say? Um, there's a so-called pastor, pastor uh, Daniel Fusco, um, from the same church that I grew up in, right? At Calvary Chapel, uh, was teaching other pastors and, and, uh, he's getting up there and he's blabbing about, you know, basically the social gospel. We gotta be more social, more communal, more, uh, uh, aggressive in a different way. We need to stop looking at the way we've been doing things and start looking over here. And he's, he's praising Rick Warren for the work that he does. And we should stop bashing him and just love all people, right? And, 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 and don't be teaching prophecy. Guys, that's the old school way to do it, right? And, and we don't need verse by verse stuff. I mean, I mean, he's not even holding a Bible in his hand, right? He's doing the cool thing. He's got the dreads and all that, right? Um, I would just say, hey, caution with these modern hip guys that say anything against the Bible. And I would mark them. Just mark them and, and say, hey, that's <laughs> they're not of the word. They're not of the Lord. They're here to deceive you and to, to uh, pull you away from the word of God. What happens when your prey pulls you away from your stronghold, you're going to get devoured. That's the whole goal of taking you away. Your stronghold, Christian, right, is the word of God. Hebrews 4.12, right? It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's living. It's powerful. And it's the word of God. And so when they get up and they say anything to discourage you from seeking the Lord on your personal time with the Lord, Mark them, right? And it's a, it's a danger zone. So take heed to the word of God instead. Let's come to the third thing before I get all crazy, right? But that, that was, uh, March 8th. You guys could do your homework on that and watch, um, I could forward you the video too if you want. The full one. But the third thing is the depravity of false teachers. Um, talking about the depravity. So they don't understand, uh, secondly, they'll utterly perish and now they will carouse. They carouse in the daytime. Notice it says in verse 13, as those who count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime. So they don't wait for it to get dark, you know, to carouse. They're, they're all, they're in the open. They're in the public. In fact, they're not just in the daytime carousing. They're in front of people, right? It's like, what? I was just walking uh, my dog uh, around Memorial Park and, and, uh, there's this big hill there. And I'm walking around that hill with all these bushes and all of a sudden there's this scurrying in the bushes, right? And I'm like, what is it right there? And then there's this young girl and this young guy come out. He's holding a blanket and she's coming out putting on her shirt. And she's all, you know, her hair's messed up. And then she sees me, and she's all red, you know, and just kind of smiling like, uh. And I was like, seriously, carousing in the daytime, right? <laughs> My first thoughts came to the false teachers, right? Like, wow, you couldn't wait an hour, you know, for the light to go out, and yikes. Um, but this word right here, very interesting, because they're, they're shameless, right? This word carouse, uh, trophy, 
It's only used twice in the New Testament, once here and in Luke chapter uh, 7, verse 25. And what it's translated there is to live in luxury, is what it says. So this word carouse is of openly flaunting uh, publicly your lifestyle of luxury. And therefore, false teachers, they have no problem to openly flaunt, right, uh, publicly their luxury lifestyle. Of what? Well, of their mansions, of their expensive cars, of their tailored, you know, $1,000 suits, of their, you know, fancy watches. I could go on forever. They're open about it. And and a current <clears throat> false teacher is this guy Jesse Duplantz, Duplantz, I don't know how to pronounce his name, but he's been asking for 54, this is just currently, right? The the other guy was Creflo Dollar for his Learjet that you got to pay for, right? Now this guy says, hey, I got three Learjets, but I want a fourth one. But he says in this video right here that I don't, oh, here's my jets right here. I love these jets, but but there's a better one. It's the Falcon S or uh, 7X is what it's called. And, and, but it's, you know, it's, it's a $54 million and he's got the money to do that. He's a Christian hustler, right? He's a TV evangelist guy. And, and so he's got millions of dollars, but guess what he says? But God said that I'm not going to pay for it. Basically, you're going to pay for it. And, and it's like, wow. And people are watching this and they're writing their checks out and they're saying, wow, Get your jet. Get your fourth jet. What? You know that you got to get the pilots. You got to get the gas and the maintenance for all of that, right? And this is not for one jet, four jets. Talk about open flaunting your luxurious lifestyle, right, as a a so-called Christian. And so the whole time they just beg for money. These false teachers are open about what they're doing in their luxurious lifestyles. And that's what the Bible is saying. This should alarm all of us, guys. This should get us kind of, you know... Alarmed. Um, the fourth thing is they are spots in the feast. They're spots in the feast. Notice in verse 13, it says, They are spots and blemishes carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you. And so the picture here is these false teachers are, they're coming, you know, to a feast as they carouse in their own deceptions and in their own luxurious lifestyles, right? And with no shame, and yet they come to sit and eat with you, with you and I, that, that have not that, right? Uh, and, and I believe this feast that Peter is referring to is speaking of the Lord's Supper. And in Jude, uh, verse 12, he calls it the, the, uh, the love feast, right? And we would call it communion today, what we call communion. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. <clears throat> um, the only reason, it's just, it's, it's amazing. I think it's important to understand why this is significant, by the way. You know, these false teachers, their spots, their blemishes, and they're, uh, they're what's wrong with during communion, basically. And they have no fear of God in them. There's no conviction of anything. There's no trembling. And and the only reason they would come to communion is to eat and to drink. And as they came, they flaunted their wealth to those who didn't have much to eat. And and uh it's just it's it's crazy. I, I uh I'm reminded we just it's if you guys are following us on Facebook 
we gave our, our dog away to somebody, right? And it was free. We wanted a little pet fee, and they didn't want to pay that fee. And so they drove up in their brand-new Land Rover, you know, nice fat diamond on the ring. And, you know, and, and I was like, wait, you didn't want to pay for the dog? But you have all this riches, and you still want it for free? There's lots of people like that in the world today that have lots, millions, and yet they'll still be on, like, welfare or, you know, they just want to use the system or whatnot. I hear about it all the time, and I'm reminded of these guys right here. They have that same attitude, these false teachers. Look at 1 Corinthians 11, uh, chapter 11, verse 17. I don't think I have it up here. Um, yep, nope. Um, it says in verse 17, Now in giving these instructions, I do not praise you since you come together, not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And in part, I believe it, Paul says, for there must also be factions among you, that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others, and one is hungry and another is drunk. What? Right? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God uh, and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. So these false teachers, they're, uh, they're carousing, right? And, and their spots and their blemishes, where? Where specifically? It says, in these love feasts. And since they are flaunting their luxurious lifestyles of having plenty of food and wine, and they're eating and getting drunk, right, is what's going on. Look down at verse 33. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. But if anyone is hungry, let them eat at home, lest you come together for judgment, and the rest I will set in order when I come. He's he's not joking around here. He's going to go face to face with these guys. But clearly, that they are spots and blemishes during communion time. You guys know what I mean by spots? I look in the mirror all the time. If you guys look at my face, you guys could always see all these spots, right? I'm like, oh, there's another one. <laughs> uh, I don't like those spots, right? And they're, they're clear like eyesores, and it's like, ah, oh, not to say anything about you guys, but for me, right? Um, but uh, so they're talking about communion, and they didn't do communion like we do, right? We had this little cup and we got this little tiny broken cracker. Uh, but back then, they would have the loaves of bread, and they would pull off, you know, a huge chunk of bread, then make a meal out of it, and instead of passing the cup, you know, or, or filling, they'd just fill up the whole thing, right? They'd bring their thirst buster thing, um, right? And they, they would just, and they would just start chugging it, and they'd get drunk, Right? They come to communion, not for the sake of remembering what Christ did on the cross for us. So obviously, clearly mocking him. That's why they speak evil of doxa, evil of glory, right? And, and because they, they care less. They're not born again. So they come to mock the Lord in front of you and I. And that's what they're doing. So they're, they're taking that. And those that can't take communion, they don't even have enough money for the food that night. It's basically saying. So very, very scary. But they come to eat and drink and they're only in it for themselves. They're in there to glorify their own, um, satisfaction, if you will. Turn back with me to Second Peter. 
Second Peter chapter 2. The fifth thing here is they have eyes full of adultery. Eyes full of adultery. Look at verse 14. Having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable souls. So here we have another reason why they came to the church's communion table, not only to eat and drink, but now it was for the sake of sexual immorality. And when they came in the town, they were the leaders who were in charge, right? These are the, the guys who had, you know, titles. And, and notice in verse 14, they were enticing unstable souls. And, and we would say new converts, or we would say new believers today, right? And, and these false teachers were preying on them. They were enticing them. And since their eyes were committed to adultery, all they cared about was eating, drinking, and sexual immorality, basically. And notice in verse 14 that these false teachers, they cannot cease from sin. They can't cease from it. It's not that they will not. It's that they cannot cease from sin. Scary. Since their eyes are full of adultery and they're so far into their lust, they have no control over it. And I, I believe that God, um, you know, he loves us so much so that he's, he's there with us, right? The Holy Spirit's prompting us to come to him. And as non-believers, we just keep saying, no, no, my way, my way, no, I don't want to, no. And I think there comes a time where God's God's a gentleman, right? And he's not going to force his love upon you. And so there comes a time where God just says, okay, hey, you want it that way? Go. I'll, the Holy Spirit's going to be uh, apart from you now. So stop, you know, convicting you of your sin and leading you to, towards righteousness. And Paul said in Romans one twenty eight. He said, hey, even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. So there is a point where God just says, enough is enough. Hey, that's it. You want to go that far into your own little world? Go ahead. But I'm still here. There's still opportunity for redemption. Isn't that amazing with the Lord? I look from Genesis all the way through. Wow, God, give up on that guy. Give up on him. Why aren't you giving up? Oh, they come back to you now. Wow, the prodigal. There he is. And then I go to Revelation, and I'm like, okay, the church is gone. We're done. All right, our work is finished. And then people are still coming to the Lord during the tribulation time. It's like, what? He's still pouring out his grace like crazy on the face of this planet, right? You got the, the two prophets, you got the angel, you got people sharing their testimonies, sharing the gospel. And so there's people coming to the Lord and it's just, it's a wonderful time. And I still look at that. I'm like, wow, even during his judgment, he's still showing grace. That's just amazing. The God that we serve, it really is. Um, Let's go to the sixth thing here, is they have a heart that is covetousness. A heart that is covetousness. Notice in verse 14, it says they have a heart trained in covetous practices. So they're trained in greed and they're experts in greed, we would say. So the heart is where the problem is. That's where I see the problem. And uh, Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says that the heart is uh, deceitful above all things. Who can know it, right? And so we need to be born again to fix this problem. Nobody can just help you and, and put a band-aid on your problem. It's only 
Jesus Christ who can fix the heart of man. Nobody else can do that. They are experts at greed. Many, meaning they have trained and taught their hearts to be greedy. Over the years, they're, they're professionals at this, right? And their heart is for themselves only. It's towards power, prestige, positions, uh, you name it, right? Whatever they can do in their own pride. And what needs to change is the heart of man, right? And, and we think, you know, we can fix other people, right? Mom, dad, you guys get what I'm saying? We think maybe more rules and regulations on our kids maybe can fix the problem. That'll do it. No, it won't, right? You can't put outward things to fix the inward heart, right? You can put a shock collar on them. It still doesn't work. And it's it's got to be the work of the Lord in them to change their heart, right? We can't do it. And once you realize that, it's such a relief, right? To just let go and let God, right? Psalm um 4610, just be still and know that he's God. And it's just amazing. He's in control. He knows what he's doing. Let him do it. And, 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 uh, yes, still put your rules and regulations, by the way. That's not what I'm saying, right? But not, you, not to change their heart. Just give their heart over to the Lord. Pray for them. But let's come to the seventh thing. They are accursed children. Notice in verse 14, they're accursed children. Some translate, uh, translators say they are doomed children. And so we keep seeing this repeated about these false teachers, verse what, 12, 14, verse 17, uh, and on. They are definitely biblically doomed for all eternity. It's a, it's a for sure. Um, let's come to the eighth thing here. They, they have forsaken the right way. Notice in verse 15, it says they have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but he was rebuked for his iniquity. A dumb donkey speaking with the man's voice restrained the madness of the prophet. So this is from Numbers chapter 22, 23, and 24 uh, that we read about Balak, Balak, the king of the Moabites, right? And at this time, and the children of Israel, you know, they, 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 they came out of Egypt. God's doing amazing stuff. Just picture this, guys. Maybe what? Maybe a million people, maybe two million people, the children of Israel, but they're, they're dangerous because they're all one. They're one people and they, they have their own communication, right? Their own strategies, but they're a, a, a moving army that just moves. And for 40 years, they were a moving army. And the kings were fearful of them because they were defeating the Amorites, right? And now here's the king of Moab and he's fearful of these, the children of Israel. In fact, turn to, um, uh, Numbers 22. Numbers 22. Um, so Balak, he is, he sends a delegation up to the Euphrates River, which is, uh, what, modern day Iraq area, and, and he, he sends it to this guy, Balaam, who is a diviner, basically, the second Peter calls him a prophet, um, and he wants to hire this guy, Balaam, the son of Beor, and Balaam, he's able to tap into the spiritual realm, and, and, and so, yeah, that's what he understood. And then from verse 1, um, all the way, well, let's just read. It says, Then the children of Israel moved and camped in the plains of Moab on the side of the Jordan across from Jericho. And now, uh, 
Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites, and Moab was exceedingly afraid of the people because they were many. And Moab was sick with dread because of the children of Israel. And so Moab said to the elders of Midian, Now this company will lick up everything around us as an ox licks up the grass of the field. And Balak, the king, the son of Zippor, was uh, or was king of the Moabites at this time. Then he sent messengers uh, to Balaam, the son of Beor at Pithor, which is near the river in the land of the son of his people, to call him, saying, Look, a people has come from Egypt. See, they cover the face of the earth and are settling next to me. Therefore, please come at once, curse this people for me, for they are too uh, mighty for me. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land. For I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. And so the elders of Moab and the elders of Median departed with the diviner's fee in their hands. So they got some good money for this Balaam, right? And they come to Balaam and spoke to him the words of Balak. And he said to them, uh, you know, lodge here tonight and I'll bring back word to you as the Lord speaks to me. So the princes of Moab stayed with Balaam. Then God came to Balaam. And said, who are these men with you? And so Balaam said to God, Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent to me, saying, uh, and then, you know, it repeats it all. Um, and so God says, you know, don't go. And so he tells the guys in the morning, you know, uh, I'm sorry, guys, I can't go. They go back to their king. The king sends back more, uh, you know, prominent princes, you know, the major, you know, the leaders of the Moabites. And now they come to him and ask him, and he's like, oh, just stay here. Let's, you know, I'm going to seek the Lord. But the Lord said, don't go. In fact, he says, don't, don't speak what I tell you to speak, basically. And what does he do? He gets up, starts going. He's on his donkey. The donkey sees the angel of the Lord, kind of similar to Moses, right? When he gets down the mountain and he knows where he's got to go, he knows his mission, and then all of a sudden God's going to kill him. And you're like, what? What happened? He didn't circumcise his son. And so, uh, man, you don't mess with God. That's just the... But God's about to kill him right here because he's going against his word. And then all of a sudden, you know, the donkey sees this angel with the fiery sword in his hand. And, and they, the donkey just starts booking it, right? Woo, I'm out of here. <laughs> and, and so Balaam's all mad and he starts to hit the thing, right? What are you doing? Stop it, right? I could picture them falling down. And he's like, you dumb donkey, right? And then the donkey starts to talk to him. And it's like, wait, what? Right? In verse, what is it, 28? Then then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey. So it was the Lord that did it for specifically at this time for this donkey. And she said to Balaam, so it was a, a, a female, What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? Now I would run away, right? So, and then I'd probably run back and be like, wait a minute, I could probably make profit off of a talk, talking donkey, right? But... It says, and then Balaam said to the donkey, so apparently, you know, it's it's okay to talk to these things, right? Because you have abused me, I wish there were a sword in my hand, for now I would kill you. So uh, it must be a normal thing, right? And and then, uh, but then he realizes, you know, the donkey, you know, saw the angel of the Lord. The Lord opened his eyes. He saw the Lord, and he then he almost is like he repented, almost, right? And then uh, the Lord just finally said, you know, go. 
but, but only speak what I tell you, right? And so he goes, and then uh, the king sees him, the king's like, finally, right? <laughs> and then the, then he says, you know, set up seven altars, seven, give me seven rams and seven, um, what was it, seven, uh, bulls, and, and, uh, and now he's gonna erect them all there. He, he does his sacrifice. This happens, okay, and then after he does the sacrifice, he doesn't curse the children of Israel, even though he sees all the children of Israel up there on that mountain. What does he do? He blesses them instead. The king's furious, right? And he's like, are you kidding me? I'm paying you to curse them. Now curse them. Let me take you up this other hill so you don't get intimidated by seeing the whole nation, right? Maybe you can just see this side over here. And then he takes them over there. Give me another seven altars, another seven bulls, another seven rams does this four times where he just blesses the children of Israel, right? And the king's like, ah! <laughs> and then, uh, finally, uh, he, he, he says, okay, wait a minute, all right, look, 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 I'm just going to keep blessing them, okay? The Lord hasn't spoken to me to curse them, so I'm not going to do it. I mean, if you saw an angel with a fiery sword, right, about to kill you, you think you're going to honor the king or you're going to honor the Lord? Right? To me, it's like a no-brainer. Duh, I'm going to honor the Lord. I don't care if you're a king. Um, so, so he says, look, look, king, come here. Come here, Mr. Balak. Let me tell you this. You want the children of Israel to stumble and to be weak and to fall? Hey, send in your Moabite women. Send them into the camp, and, and that's how you're going to bring them down. What happens? Here comes the women, the children of Israel. They're like, ooh, look at what? Open the doors, right? <laughs> Send them in. God's anger was aroused, right? He was against them uh, because they, they allowed these women in the camp. And Balak, well, Balak, but Balaam represents everything of the world, right? He loved the money of this world, and that was his, his unrighteousness, his covetousness. Uh, is That was the way of Balaam, right? When he says the way of Balaam, what is the way of Balaam? That he coveted. I guess you can say, uh, you know, this, this ministry's work and, and for profit. He saw the profit and, and he went for it, right? The, the things of this world. And so he deceived others, the children of Israel, with sexual immorality. And it caused them to fall, right, into the things of the world. And so you see, family, false teachers, they're only in it for themselves, right? The world, uh, the things of the world, that's what they desire. That's, that's their closest heaven that they'll ever have. And in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, it says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. So it's okay for us to have the things of this world, but just, you know, as long as the things of this world don't have us, right? They don't have us in bondage to it in that sense. So um, I think it's cool because I'm, I'm reading the, um, what is it? The Pilgrim's Progress book to my kids at night. And, and it's cool because it talks about these diversions, right? Of going this way and going that way. And then they're like, why, what happened? Why did you do that? And he's like, I don't know. And then it gets back on the right, you know, path. If you guys haven't read it, you should read it. Um, but 
It's it's great, and it's funny because I didn't buy the the children's. I thought I bought the children's version, but I didn't. It's the adult one, and so it's big words. So I got to stop and tell the kids about it. And it's cool to tell the kids, hey, you know, the the things of this world. How much more so, you know? And help them understand that concept of in life we trade these things in because they're very temporary. But how much more so? The Bible says that in His right hand are pleasures forevermore. I mean, if God has created, you know, pleasure and, and the things that we know we shouldn't touch, but yet we desire these things, how much more so are you going to give your act of worship to the Lord? Romans 12, 1 and 2, right? How much more so is it a sacrifice? Lord, I really want this, but I know I shouldn't touch it. I'm going to give that on to you because I'm trading it because I know the things that are eternal, the things that are for you when I'm there, my glorified body, are going to be far more exceedingly greater than the things that I see here. Are you guys with me? It, I'm with the same thing, right? I look at the things and I'm like, oh, it's, oh, that must be nice, right? But I got to remember, that's not me. This is not me. This is not, uh, we're not citizens of earth, right? We're citizens of heaven. This isn't our place. This isn't our dwelling. This isn't to get comfortable in. We got to get uncomfortable, right? Allow the Lord to shake us up. And, and, and then, Keep your mind on the things of the Lord, and you're going to be so blessed. So let's come to the ninth thing here. Uh, these, they're, they're empty. Notice verse 17. These are, go back to Second Peter. These are wells without water, clouds carried about by a tempest, for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. So they are empty. In other words, they have no value to give us. They're empty. They're like, uh, you know, false teachers are wells. What's a well without water? I mean, it's useless, right? They're wells without water. They're clouds. Yeah, here comes the clouds. Finally, no rain. Right? They're empty. They have nothing to offer you. And and uh, so that's exactly what they're. False teachers, they cannot give. They can only get. You never hear these false teachers tithing to their own ministry or or giving to another ministry it's just to receive only there's not them they're not giving anything out they they know what they're doing you're the dumb ones in their minds that they're making profit of right the bible says right here uh, that they're making merchandise of you and so uh they are only in it for themselves to accomplish their own agenda, their own lust, their own uh, fulfillment, right? Their desires. And the simple point is that only Jesus Christ can quench your thirst in that sense, right? The, the thirst that we have, we all, we all desire more physically and spiritually, you know, but Jesus told the woman at the well, if you guys remember in John chapter 4, look at verse 13. It's Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Guys, it's far greater to give it over to the Lord, right? And he will satisfy your soul. He's the bread of life, right? He's the way, the truth, the life. He's the light of this world. You could go on forever. He's the answer to every question you got there, right? Let's come to the second section and just uh, close with this. In dealing with the deception of false teachers or uh, uh, their deception notice in verses 18 and 22 we can see this in three ways by the way uh first they allure new believers they allure new believers notice in verse 
18, for when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lust of the flesh. Through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in air. So those who are escaping speaks of, well, the new believers, right? They're being allured by these false teachers. And that word allure, by the way, it's only used three times in the New Testament. And it means to entrap or to entice. In other words, just like uh, uh, when you're fishing, right? You put bait on the hook and then you send it in there. And then the fish are like, they're going straight to it. They're like, oh, look at that. And the other fish are like, don't do it. Like, I can't help it. Oh, right. They got allured. They got trapped. Right? And then, and so that's what these false teachers are doing to new believers. They're entrapping them. And, and what is their bait? Well, like, the Bible gives us two baits right here, if you will. First of all, it's through the right? The hook is they're throwing out the lust of the flesh. What's the lust of the flesh? Well, Galatians chapter 5 verse 19 says, um, now the works of the flesh are evident. Here's the works of the flesh, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. The same things repeated basically in Revelation as well. These are the ways that false teachers can hook us, new believers, right, who have no foundation, into their teachings, right? They throw it out there and they rail in, right, through these things and they draw us away from the Lord. The second hook, according to Second Peter here, is uh, lewdness, right? It speaks of appealing to our natural desires. So the false teacher will say and do things to trap us in our natural desire. What's a na- natural desires are they're they're, nat- they're they're natural. There's nothing wrong with them, right? They're just natural. But like eating, uh, uh sleeping, you know, they're natural things. But your natural desires can mislead you, basically. They can manipulate you. They can twist even the things that are good. That's what these false teachers do. And, and, uh, you know, like me, if I'm hungry, I love food. And if I'm really hungry, I'm like, oh, I remember I was fasting for a long time. I don't want to give you my reward there. But, uh, I went to Costco. Don't go to Costco if you're fasting from food, right? I go, and this poor old lady's like, here, you want to try this? And I was like, oh, thank you very much. Oh, no! And she's are you okay? And I was like, oh, no! And I was like, no, it's okay, I'm fine. Uh, right? I broke my... But, so don't do that. Um, but, so secondly, uh, they... They promise liberty, right? This is the second thing here. They promise liberty. Notice in verse 19, while they promise them liberty, they themselves are of uh, slaves of corruption, for by whom a person is overcome. By him also he's brought into bondage. For if, after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The latter end is worse for them than the beginning. So we already seen how these 
False teachers are going to be utterly destroyed, right? They're going to perish. And their end is worse than the beginning. But notice false teachers, what do they do? They promise liberty, right? Freedom. But they can't deliver liberty because they themselves, what does it say? They themselves are in bondage as well. They can't, they're just talk. They're all talk and no walk, right? And so they, they're slaves to corruption. They are slaves to their own desires, their own passions, their own lusts and wants. And they only promise freedom, but they can't deliver it. And so only Jesus Christ can deliver that freedom. He's can, the only one that could deliver. Speaking of the Pilgrim's Progress, right? That big baggage, right? It's only Jesus Christ. It's only looking to the cross and what Christ did on the cross for our sins. When we repent of our all these, the lust of the flesh, right? This list of these things that are uh, destructive and, and only keep you separated from the love of God. When you realize that and you say, enough's enough. Right? I don't want God to say it. I'm going to say that. Enough's enough. I'm done with this. You have a change of mind, a change of heart, and, and you, you just look onto the Lord and what he's done. By his blood, right, we are now accounted his righteousness and not our righteousness. And now we're free. All of a sudden, it's like, boof, all that baggage just fell down. And you're like, whoa, can I really fly? Right? <laughs> Feels like you can fly. And so, uh, we, oh, by the way, um, you guys can read Romans chapter six on your own. Speaking of that freedom that's in Christ Jesus, we don't have the time right now, but we have freedom from sin, not freedom to sin, right? A lot of so-called Christians got this grace that it's not biblical, and apparently they can sin all they want because God's already saved them. And, and they're saved no matter what they do. And, and Paul would say, certainly not. He'd say it to their face, right? And he'd go, he'll talk about it in Romans. So read Romans chapter 6. That's your homework. Uh, let's end with this. The third thing and last, they never experience true change. Notice in verse 21, it says, For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it, to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. But it has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit and a sow having washed to her wallowing in the mire. So they knew the way of righteousness, but they never truly received it. And it's so sad to say that there's many people in our congregation here that they that's them they 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 can sit through great teachings and still they can receive the good stuff but they choose to keep their own desires and their own lusts and their own ways and their own fleshly you know lifestyle and not actually receive the love of god into the personal relationship with christ they don't want to enter in and it's, it's, it's sickening when you really think about it, right? You're like, how much truth can you hear until you, right? Come on! But you can't do that. That's the flesh, right? It's, it's the love of God that can change the heart, right? Right? Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart's deceitful, but it's only Christ. So, um, they didn't choose to fully believe in it right here. So just as a dog and a pig are manifested by their actions, right? So too is a true nature of the false teacher. You can clean up a pig really really nice and do their nails and you know put that handkerchief on them right and they're oh you're so beautiful oh right smell bacon on them but what do they do they go outside sorry it just slipped out but 
you can, you can open the door and then they see the mud and then what happens? They jump in the mud. And you're like, no, right? You're trying to teach them and train them. It doesn't work. Even a dog. I look at my dogs and they eat stuff and then they go, right? And you're all, don't. They just look at you and then they look back and you're, don't you dare. Don't do it. And then they go for it. (laughs) What are you doing that for, right? As a dog returns to his own vomit. And so the same thing, these, these false teachers, man, they, they, uh, they go back into the, they, they're very, they're known, right? It's very evident to tell who a false teacher is. And here's your list of descriptions, uh, here in chapter two. Um, by the way, speaking of dog, in Hebrew, just a little fun fact for you guys. The, the Hebrew language the Jews spoke, they, they, there's no curse words. It was so, it's the purest language in the whole world that there's no profanity in it. Isn't that cool? So if they wanted to say some type of curse word, they would have to speak another language, you know, that, that hopefully you would know. And if you didn't know, then it's like, la, 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 right? But so to say something bad, the worst thing that they can say is, you're a dog, right? And they'll be like, oh, right? And it, but today, it's kind of changed, right? Where, where today you're like, what's up, dog? And they're like, oh, what's up, man? Hey, <laughs> Right? If you study the Hebrew language, you know, you look at these guys, it's like, seriously? Wow. Anyways, um, let's pray, guys. You guys want to stand with me? Let's, let's pray. Oh, Lord, thank you so much, Father, for who you are in our lives. And just talking about these false teachers and the, 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 the depravity, Lord, the doom, the, the destruction that's coming their way. It's sad, Lord. And I pray that you would break us, Lord, to, truly intercede on behalf of these people just they're down the street from us lord they're they're around our neighborhoods um and uh, they have they have their agenda lord but ultimately we know that you have yours and your plan will succeed as it is in heaven and so too it will be on earth lord and i pray lord that we would be uh, ambassadors lord who speak forth your word unafraid unashamed lord and are um, just not backing down, Lord, that we would love these people, uh, love them to death, Lord. And I pray that you give us that extreme love, that agape love that only you can give um, to have compassion on those around us, Lord, and, and uh, do a work in our hearts, Lord, in this area, that we might not be those that just grumble and complain, uh, but that those who look to you to make that difference, Lord, in their lives. And I pray that you would use us in that, Lord. And so do a work. And thank you again for tonight. Pray you would um, watch over everybody tonight as they go their way, that you'd bless their night of rest, bless their dreams. Um, and uh, just thank you, Father, for what you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen.